Almighty God, we thank you for your word, which is of great power. Your word itself tells us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I ask, Lord, for the grace I need to preach your word plainly, without human adornment. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, for the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit, that they would understand your word. For indeed, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We ask this in the name of the living word of God, Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. In this almost to last section of 1 John, John as a pastor is trying to get across to his people, his congregation, and as I said, it probably was more than one congregation, to pray. And he's giving them reasons to pray. All of us, I guarantee you, find it difficult to pray. You will find in your spiritual life that it is much easier, I'm talking to the men here, I'm talking to all of us, much easier to read Sports Illustrated than it is to read the Bible. It doesn't take much effort. It's much easier to read any magazine, really, than to read your Bible. It is easier to read your Bible than it is to pray. I promise you, you can do a little experiment. Go home and sometime this week, sit down, when it's quiet, and attempt to read your Bible for an hour. I promise you, you'll be able to do it. Might not be real easy, but you'll be able to do it. And then after two days, after you've recovered, sit down in the same chair and try and pray for one hour. You will find your mind going in a million different directions. And it's not because of anything that's necessarily wrong with your brain. It's really because the evil one knows that prayer is where the real power is. When we read the gospel accounts of our Lord, whenever he has a major decision to make as a human being, he wakes up early, he goes off alone, and he prays. Prayer is a weapon against evil. Prayer is a powerful weapon that we have at our disposal. And that is what John is trying to get across. That's what I mentioned last week, just by way of review, in verse 14. John tells us that we have confidence in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. The fact that God hears us in itself should be a great comfort and an encouragement to prayer. We pray to the living God who hears us. Just think about that for a moment. The God who has always existed. He has never not been. He never will not be. Those triple negatives going there. When you pray to him, he listens. Many of us are probably frustrated with the rulers of our little part of the world. We feel that they don't hear us. I'm not a mind reader. I'm just guessing that you think that certain folks in the District of Columbia don't really pay attention to what you think or what you say. And you'd like to have an audience with them. And you'd like to get a couple of things off your chest. 
Forget about them. We have God. Anytime, any place, anywhere, under any circumstances. They can take away your Bible. They can kill your body. They can't stop you from praying. It's invisible activity. Can't do it. You know when they said they took prayer out of schools? Hmm. Yes and no. In a way, yes. Anybody can pray in school anytime they want. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of kids pray right before trigonometry exams. I'm pretty sure that little quick prayers, oh, please, please let me pass. Even something like that would be considered a prayer. So prayer has not really been taken out of the school. The evil one thinks he has done that, but he really hasn't. He's taken away a formal prayer said by a principal or a teacher. He has not forbidden individual students from praying all the time. Even bowing in prayer at lunchtime, they can do that. And we have the confidence that he hears us. If we do not have confidence that our leaders are listening to us, we have confidence that God hears us. John was writing when Rome was in charge. Rome was really starting to get at the peak of its power at this time. And the people that he was writing to, the early church was not filled with rich people. There were some rich people, but by and large, one of the claims against Christianity when it first began was, A, you're worshipping a crucified criminal. Okay, You're saying somebody came back from the dead. And by the way, you're all a bunch of losers. A bunch of, a bunch of the early church were slaves. They were slaves. They were poor people. They were women, and women in the ancient world had pretty much zero rights. That's who God started with. Eleven men after Judas did himself. And then we see in the book of Acts, in the early book of Acts, about 120. Then it multiplies to their praying on the day of Pentecost. They're praying. And then it turns to 3,000. And then it spreads like wildfire. It spreads like wildfire. And in church history, missions fell pretty much flat for a long time. Once Europe had been Christianized, and I'm putting that in quotes, once the gospel had gotten to Europe and the nations of Europe literally had been civilized by the gospel, it stopped. It wasn't really until about the 18th century that people started to realize, oh, wow, there's a whole world out there, and we have this commission to evangelize. World missions as we know it really didn't start until people started praying about it. And when that happened, really, you study history, there's a big difference in the way the world looks in the last two or three hundred years, some for the better and some for the worse, because we have the kingdom of the Antichrist and the kingdom of the Christ at war. It doesn't look like we're winning, but we are. We are. There were no Christians in Cambodia 500 years ago. There's Christians there today. There's no Christians in South Korea 500 years ago. Places loaded with Christians today. You have to take a big view, and this is an encouragement to prayer. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Every prayer that you ever ask will be answered. Yes, no, or wait. Now here's the catch. There's a difference between a prayer being asked 
and the, and the request being granted and the immediate fulfillment of that bequest. For instance, I pray, listen to me carefully, I pray all the time, and you should be as well, that the scourge of Islam is wiped off the planet of this earth by the gospel, that they will become Christians, that they will lay down their arms, they will stop chopping up people's heads, and they will worship the Prince of Peace. I promise you, that prayer will be answered. I do not think, although I hope I am wrong, I do not think I will see the fulfillment of that promise in my lifetime, even if God gives me another 40 years. That's just a guess. But that prayer will be answered. At the very least, the moment Jesus returns on the clouds, the moment, the split second he returns, everybody will be a believer. But for those who haven't believed yet, it will be too late. Our prayers will be answered. You may ask for something that is within God's will. He may grant that will, but you may not see the result of it for a while. When you pray for people who are unsaved, and that's what we're going to be moving into right now, we have to continue to pray, even if we see no evidence of spiritual life in them. Once they are dead, we can stop praying, because then they pass from this life to the next. But John is now going to go on into this passage here, verses 16 through 18, that looks as if it's really complicated. And it looks as if... Well, you'll see. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he, us, will ask, and he, the Lord, will give him life for those who commit a sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. The part of this passage that gets most people's attention is this, oh, there's a sin that leads to death, and we're not supposed to pray about it. Here's the catch. If you read it out loud, and you read it fast as if John's talking, it comes across as an aside. That's not the point of the passage. All sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death, Paul tells us. The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. All sin leads to death. And what happens is when we misinterpret a passage like this, we start to wonder, well, did I commit this sin that leads unto death? Yeah, you did. So, I'm going to ask away your fears here and tell you that you have committed the sin that leads to death. How do I know that? Because you're going to die. As sad a fact as that is, that's going to happen. We're going to get sick. We're going to lay our loved ones to rest. That's a brutal, harsh reality of life. You've committed that sin. If you're a Christian, however, you've passed from death to life. You see, this passage isn't what most people think it's about. A lot of people think that we're supposed to almost be like spiritual secret policemen and look around and try and figure out if that person or this person has committed the sin leading to death and once that's done, then we can knock them off our prayer list. I want you to think about that. Do you really think that that's the way God works? 
That would just be confusing. Because I don't know about you, but I can't read anybody's heart. You can take a wild guess, and you can take a good educated guess at those that you're closest to in love, but you still never fully know another person's heart. It is a human impossibility. I would love, well, maybe I wouldn't, want to be able to read people's minds. Jesus could. He could read people's hearts. That's why he knew that the rich young ruler was rich, even though the text doesn't say that the rich young ruler came up and gave him a Rolex. And I want you to think about what our Lord went through, being able to read people's minds, being able to see into their hearts. The pain and anguish that that caused him while he was alive on earth must have been almost unbearable. And the sin to, it would be a sin for him to give up, and he never did give up. And he had every reason to give up because he could look around and, and see the tar in our hearts and see the, the, the congealed oil in our brains. He could see all of it and hear it. It's no wonder he went off alone all the time just to get a break. He didn't give up. Do you want to give up sometimes? Do people around you frustrate you? And you just say, oh, how many times have you said, I can't take it anymore? How many times have you said that in your life? I can't take it anymore. Well, obviously you can because you're still here. And something's going to come up this week that you're going to have to take. I'm at the end of my rope. No, you're not. I've reached the bottom of the pit. No, you haven't. If you want to use fancy words like I like to do, I've reached the nadir, okay, the bottom. No, you haven't. (laughs) Nope, you're still here. And for Jesus, it just kept going and going and going, and he never broke. This is the God to whom we pray. This is why that comfort in Hebrews 4 that tells us that we have a merciful and faithful high priest who has been tempted like we are, yet without sin, that we can go to him and receive grace and mercy in our time of need. You have needs. You have desires. You have spiritual hurts. You have wounds. Jesus knows them better than you ever know them. Because his wounds, while he were walking around, were so much deeper than ours. If you think you've been hurt by people around you, And it's true, I'm not diminishing that. We all walk through life and we all get beat up emotionally, spiritually, mentally. It may look like some people don't, but believe you me, they do. We're all walking wounded. You think about what Jesus went through. He is the Son of God. And his own family thought he was crazy. He is the Son of God. And the Pharisees said he was possessed of the devil. He was the son of God, and they murdered him because of it. They beat him to a bloody pulp. They brought false witnesses. Have you ever been accused of something falsely? It's not a lot of fun. I didn't do it. How many of you children have ever said that? I didn't do that. It's not fun being falsely accused. Every time Jesus was ever accused, it was always false, because he was always perfectly innocent. He knows your struggles. And the point of this passage is that we are supposed to pray 
And the point of this section of the passage is that we are to pray for the lost. All sin leads unto death. If we see a brother, and John is using the word brother here in what I think is a little bit more of a loose phrase. In any church, whether it's a church of 15 people or 15,000 people, there will be unsaved people, most likely. Now, granted, in a church of 15 people, you probably have a better shot of, of judging the spiritual fruit. Church of 15,000, there's, there's no way that the church can keep track of all its members. There's just, just no way. It's an impossibility. If you see your brother sinning, a sin not leading to death what does the text tell us we should do he will ask that's us we're supposed to ask and he will give him life the reason why I know that this pat that little verse there is not talking about Christians is because we already have life turn back a few pages to chapter 3 it's actually one page in your pew Bible. Chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. You can't give life to somebody twice. It makes no sense. Now back to John 5. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life. This is talking about giving life. John has already assured us that we have eternal life. If someone's saved, you don't need to ask for new life to be given to them. This is talking about praying for the lost. This is talking about praying for those who do not know the Lord. Even if they're in a church. And we have to believe that there is a sin leading unto death because the passage tells us that there is. There will be people who do not believe. But the Lord, as John Calvin points out, the Lord shows us His mercies and the treasures of His riches so often that we do well to never give up hope. To continue to pray until the person passes from this life to the next because you never know this is talking about the lost this is not a call to cruise around a church and ask your brothers and sisters have you sinned the sin leading unto death because the answer to that one is you sure have because all sin leads to death And if all sin leads to death, there isn't this special category of sins. This is where our Roman Catholic friends came up with the idea of mortal and venial sins. Now, I grew up Roman Catholic, and as I mentioned in Sunday school, it's nice to hear that something's a venial sin, because that means it's not that big of a deal. And what happens is, is the more you uh, play games in your mind, the more sins go over into the venial area than are in the mortal area. You save the mortal sins for the seven big ones. So the little ones, oh, they're going to hurt you, but they're not going to kill you, so you can have fun while you're doing them. That's, that's not the intent, but that's the effect. All sin leads to death. All sin leads to death. This is talking about granting God granting people new life. 
What we have to understand is that as Christians, as the church of God, we've been given a great gift and we're not allowed to hoard it. The good news of the gospel has got to go out. It has to go out. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If there is no preacher, people do not get saved. That's why we support missionaries. And some of you have the particular gift of excuse me, evangelism. Some of you have that gift. There's a list of spiritual gifts. In the book of Ephesians, in the book of Romans, you have them. Are you using them? Now, prayer isn't a gift that only some people have. Prayer is a privilege that all of us have. Do you know unsaved people in your life? I hope you do. Not because I hope they're unsaved, because you had better be out there in some way or fashion witnessing for the Lord our God. And one of the best ways that you can witness for the Lord our God in front of unbelievers is to simply act like a Christian. Simply act like Christ. You will garner so much attention, particularly in our world, in our society. And this is what we have to deal with. We do not live in Timbuktu. We live in western Pennsylvania. We have to deal with our society. This is where God has placed us. Just by acting like a Christian, you will stand out in today's world. Because our world is degraded. And our world is defiled. And it's growing sicker and sicker by the day. It's difficult to be a Christian. Nobody ever said it was supposed to be easy. There have been times in history when it has been easier, but it's never truly easy. You will have to pay. You will be persecuted. They will laugh at you. Somewhere in the world right now, your brothers and sisters are being killed. We have to pray for the salvation of those who do not have life. And we have to believe that God will save them. Contrary to all evidence, we have to believe. And we can never give up our hope because we cannot read people's minds. We cannot read people's souls. That's God's job. Leave it in his hands. You have a hard enough time and I have a hard enough time figuring out ourselves. To try and unravel what's going on in someone else's mind or heart, forget about it. You're outmanned in that field. You're way outmanned. You leave that to God. You do what you're supposed to do, which is this. You pray for these people. You live a model Christian life in front of them. And when you do those things, God will give you the opportunity to speak the word to them. And you do not have to have a Ph.D. to witness to somebody, to give them the basic message of the gospel. The basic message of the gospel is there is a heaven, there is a hell, we are all sinners, sin brings us to hell, but there is a way out. There is a rescue. And what we have to understand here is that our prayers, in a way that we don't understand, are part of the rescue mission of God. What a great privilege that is. To be his partner. God does the saving, but what we fail to realize is that God, for reasons he has not told us, in his sovereignty, has been pleased to use 
secondary causes. He uses you to bring other people to Him. Can you think of anything greater, a greater station in life for to be an ambassador of God? That's what Paul calls us in 2 Corinthians. We are ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? He tells the party line. He tells the foreign country that, where he is what the government is saying. He's not allowed to make up his own policy. Now, if we are ambassadors for Christ, that means that we are in a foreign country. There isn't an ambassador to the United States you know, in Wyoming. They have a governor, state legislature, counties. You have ambassadors in foreign countries. If we are ambassadors of Christ, that means we're somehow in a foreign country. We're going to stand out. We're going to have different customs. And we have to tell the foreigners what our government's party line is. And our government is the kingdom of Christ. And the message is, get saved. This idea of sinning unto death does have a secondary application to the false teachers that John has been speaking about earlier in the book. It does. And if somebody... And John isn't saying that we shouldn't pray for them. But John here is saying, humanly speaking, particularly if someone is a leader in the church, and they willingly, knowingly, and obstinately walk away from the gospel and begin preaching a false gospel, John is simply saying here in his humanity, I don't think God's going to save them. That's why he says it. It's It's almost an aside. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. It's almost an aside. The point of the passage is that we have the power of prayer. And all unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. The point of the passage is that we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray for each other. Even, yeah, there is a secondary application of praying for other Christians. Do you pray for other Christians? I almost want to get an anonymous questionnaire out. Do you pray for other Christians regarding their sins? I want you to think about the people in your life that are Christians, the people that you know here in church. Do you know what they struggle with? Maybe not all of them, but can you put one or two things on people that maybe they struggle with? It's not too hard. To look around and say, well, he's got, man, he does have bad temper. That's the evidence of it. He explodes all the time. That person's a gossip. Okay? That person overeats. That person doesn't get enough sleep. You want to pray for me? Here's one of my sins. I don't sleep enough. I don't. I don't sleep enough. It's not because I can't sleep. I just, I just, I just don't go to bed early enough. I'm pretty sure that 4.30 or 5.30 is way too late to go to bed. To wake up at 8 or so. It's just way too late. So you can pray for me that I repent of that sin. You really can't function very long on that little amount of sleep. No matter how much studying one thinks one needs to do, there is always tomorrow. But if you go to bed when it is tomorrow, (laughs) then something's gone wrong. You know what people's struggles are. And this is a call for us to get to know each other. We all struggle with the same basic sins. 
We need to pray for each other that we will repent of those sins. That we will love each other. That's the point of the whole passage. That we are not murderers. That we will love and that we will give life to each other. And when we do that, when we begin to pray for the same things, God will bring new life to us. that's that's, That's the business that he's in. You don't go to a hardware store hoping to find uh, a new suit of clothes. You're in the wrong place. I remember one time I took the family out for fast food and um, I always get the story wrong. We were at Burger King and I was asking, hey, where did the Black Angus burger go on on your menu? Kept asking him and the poor kid behind the counter was like, "Um, so that's McDonald's. Oh, right. Sorry, I'm in the wrong place. I can't get that Black Angus burger. That's across the street. I'm in the wrong place. God's business, if you have it, is saving people. And then once they're saved, Christians are to grow. And that can't happen. That cannot happen unless we pray. So I'm calling you to a life of prayer. Shall we close in prayer? Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift And we acknowledge that we all need to grow in this area. Please help us to do so. In Christ's name, amen. Number 20, all people that on earth do dwell. The music was written by John Calvin's music director, so to speak. Number 20, if you're able to stand, please do so with me. 